And see, that's the point is that what, when Jesus came to die for your sins, it defines your reality because what, what it's saying is that purpose is what brings joy. Purpose is what brings meaning. Purpose is what brings happiness. Without meaning, without purpose, you will never be happy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We are here to guide you, to challenge you, but ultimately this is a journey that you have to take and you have to do the work Mm -hmm. on your own. We can't do it for you, but we're here to come alongside you to help you along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor (laughs) himself, Dr. Douglas Peake. Oh, I am in such a good mood today because I am a really big kansas university basketball fan and they came back from the largest deficit ever in the history of the ncaa tournament and they won the national championship last night that's exciting oh that was so exciting we were so fired up my mom uh and her husband they've been he's been lived in kansas city his entire life he's 92 years old and so they've been watching ku basketball since the day she met him and He's watched it his whole life, so they are ecstatic. Well, my roommate was pretty ecstatic when I got home late last night after youth group um, as well. He's also a big KU fan. Is he really? Jason is? He is. Way to go, Jason. I knew there was something about him I liked. (laughs) Well, we're talking right now, and I think one of the things that was so interesting is that they were able to come back because... Uh, after the game winning, they, they were at halftime and they just said, well, who are we? What's our foundation? Mm. You know, what kind of a team are we? We're built for adversity, they said. And they came out and did something that's never happened in the history of the NCAA tournament. And that kind of points to what we're talking about. And that's the power of a strong foundation of knowing who you are in the midst of adversity. Everybody has a foundation. The real question is, how strong is it? Uh, is it built on sand or is it built upon the rock? If it's built on the sand, when you get in pickles, boy, it can crash when the storms come against you. But how do you know if it's built on sand or rock? That's really the question. You know, you live in an affluent culture, and what that does is that it lengthens. It doesn't change, but it lengthens the time period between your decision and its outcome. Mm. See, before, if you know, 200 years ago, if you chose not to work, then pretty quickly you would go hungry, see, uh, or you'd get wet or die in the element. So it required a lot of work and you had to stay on top of it. Today, you can choose not to work for a long period of time and it won't affect you for sometimes years to come. Mm. And eventually it does because work is not just about what, you know, feeding yourself and putting a roof over your head. It's about so much more. It's just, there's a spiritual component to it. So how do you know if what I have built my foundation of my life upon is built upon the rock or it's built upon the sand? When I live in a culture that extends the outcome or the impact of the storms in my life, And so what it does is it deceives me and misguides me over the foundation that I've actually built in my life. So we need to know, we need to know is the foundation that I have built on rock or sand. That's the question we're looking into you is uh, right now is how you can know the answer to that question. Well, I was gone last week, um, but I listened to you and Zach um, 
kind of discuss these topics and kind of the notes I took after listening to the podcast were the following. So one, every human being is seeking meaning or purpose in life, a way to make sense of it all. So point number two, we use a foundation to build our lives on. Mm -hmm. Three, this foundation consists of beliefs, convictions, and principles. Yes. Four, the stronger the foundation, the stronger your life. Mm -hmm. And five, Christianity is not a religion, but a truth claim these truths are what shape belief, convictions, and principles. Yes. So yes. with those five points, did did I summarize those well yeah, from yeah, last week? Absolutely. How do we build on those five points? Well, I you know, on Sunday, the first message that we preached, we talked about the three biggest rooms in your life house, basically, that impact you the most are your romantic life, dating life, marriage life, you know, whether you have a life partner or not. Um, number two is your family. Which is, do you have children or not? And and maybe it's not, you're, you don't have children yet. Uh, it might be your extended family. You know, right. they, they create a huge impact in your life, right? And then finally, your career, uh, your pursuits uh, for jobs, uh, your work life. That has a, is a huge room in your life. But these things all must be built upon a spiritual foundation. And so we kind of demarcated or made a... Uh, define them differently. And that is your spiritual life is a foundation on which all these other rooms are built. And it's your spiritual foundation that ter- determines whether those things that have been built upon the rock are built upon the sand. And so that was kind of how we started off. So we talked about kind of these spiritual rocks that form our foundation, the yes. thing that really solidifies it so that it isn't just sand, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first one you discussed is moving from self-justification to a Jesus justification. Right. Righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, Philippians chapter 3. And then how this foundational shift in thinking and living changes our marriages, our families, and our mm-hmm. careers. Mm-hmm. So what is the second most important rock that we need to add to our foundation to have that really firm foundation we're talking about? Yeah, well, the first one is, is I have to realize I can't justify myself. I need to be justified. Mm. And the second one is linked directly to that, and that is this, is that Jesus came to die for our sins. So it's basic, it sounds simple, but it's extremely significant and it's important. And that is the, there's this notion in the world in which you live in a reality that there is a God, okay? There is a God that created the heavens and the universe and the world in which we live. Now, he created us as well, and we are separated from this God. He's hidden but he's not silent. We can't see him, but he's there. And the reason why is because evil is in the world. Okay. Now the, the contention is if you're a real thinking person is that the reason we're separated from God because of evil is because evil cannot exist in the presence of God. Imperfection cannot uh, exist in the presence of God. Adam and Eve existed in the presence of God until they invited evil into the world. And then God separated himself. And the reason why he did this is because they would have ceased to exist Hmm. if they were in the presence of God. You see an image of this in the first couple of chapters of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has a vision where he's taken into the presence of God. And the first thing he says is, woe is me. 
I don't want to see God because I'm a man of unclean lips. And what his point is, is that if you put me, you know, that's a burning fire and I'm not that. If you put me in the presence of that, it, I'm going to be toast. I'm going to, I'm going to be consumed by the flame. Mm-hmm. And so he says, look, I need to be set. I need, so they take a rock or, or a, a thing out of a brazier, you know, big coal and they take it and they touch his lips and that purifies him so that he can be in the presence of God. And then, and then he sees the cherubim and seraphim and all these angels flying around the holiness of God in the temple up there. And what it is, they have six wings. And it's really interesting because they use two wings to fly and they use four wings to protect themselves from the holiness of God. Mm. So you have angels that are created perfect, but if they're in the presence of God, they have to have protection or shield from it. So the, the thing that I spoke about and taught on in the last session of messages that we did, or the last series that we did is that people underestimate the purity and power of the love of God for the love of God is holiness. It's holy and pure and righteous. And that's why it, the love of God is what changes us. Well, in the same way, this is that Jesus came in order to make us change us, transform us so that we could once again be in the presence of God. So that's the notion that Jesus Christ died for our sins. There is a God, he's holy and pure. Evil is what separates us from him. And this evil has to be addressed in order for us to become fully human because we were meant to be in the presence of God. We were meant and created to be uh, righteousness, uh, and pure and holy. We're not because evil's in the world. And so this must unequivocally be addressed. And that's why Jesus came. He came in order to deal with this problem. And this is why the virgin birth is so important. You see, it's because it shows that a human being can be born Jesus, uh, through natural means. And at the same time, live, a uh, righteous or pure life, never tainted by evil, even though he's in the midst of evil every single day. So let's dig into this rock a little bit more and see what the scriptures teach us as far as concerning the significance of this rock that you're talking about. Yeah. Today, what's really interesting, we see a lot of people now, particularly in what they term as progressive Christianity or enlightened Christianity. And the idea is that Jesus didn't come to die for our sins. And the underlying premise is that, well, God is love. And what they do is they reinterpret love, but they say God is love. And how could you serve a God that would send his own son to die? That's punitive and evil and bad. Mm. And so, no, it's a sacrifice. And the reason why is because you don't understand how bad evil is and how much of a problem it is, right? It's like a parent saying to a child that has cancer, and that is, well, we don't want to treat you with chemotherapy because it'll make you uh, upset stomach and your hair will fall out. Right. Yeah, but you're going to die from cancer if you don't. So that's what progressive Christianity is attempting to do. And it's really interesting because it's also a unequivocal violation of what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. There's no question that this is what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, this is immediately after Peter, uh, it's Caesarea Philippi, confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. 
And it says in verse 21, immediately after the situation, from that time forward, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed and raised up on the third day. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but men's. And so this, there, it's an, it was an unequivocal conviction of Jesus that God's purpose was him to go to Jerusalem and to die for a purpose. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it's a, Jesus quote is saying, as a son of man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, what is a ransom? It's payment, right? And so he gave his life in payment in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, it says, therefore you should be an imitator of God as beloved children walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world world. So you see this in the statements of Jesus. You see it in the teaching of Paul. You see it in the teaching of, uh, the apostle John. You see it in the teaching of the apostle Peter and first and second Peter in Hebrews. I mean, it's just a common theme throughout the Bible. It is a foundational rock. It is unequivocally true. And anybody who de denies that is a charlatan. They are a false teacher and they are trying to deceive you from building your house upon the rock of Jesus. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, let's dive into why this is important as a spiritual foundation. I mean, I think I have a rough idea. I mean, obviously, if he didn't actually die for us, then we're not saved from our sins, right? Correct. We are tainted by these sins. And so if this correct. new progressive form of Christianity is correct of, well, he never really died for us because that would be mean of God to yes. do that. Yeah, which is kind of odd. Right. Then... We're just sinful creatures, and we're back to step one. Well, where you're we not a sinful creature. Oh, yes, that's right. We're, that's right. We, we don't sin. Yeah, Every, God, God loves everything about us, and we yes. can't do wrong, and right? He, exactly, and he created you with that. It's not a temptation. You need to embrace who you are. Seems great. Yeah. But see that, and that, and that's the implication right there. It's really interesting. I mean, think about that for just a second, because this is such an important fact or rock in the foundation of our faith because it defines reality. Mm. See, this statement that Jesus died for your sins is a simple statement. But boy, if you just camp out on that bad dad for a while, you it defines reality for you. The reality in which you live. The ultimate reality of being in a cause and effect universe. You see, it, it defines how you explain what happens in your life. First and foremost, does your life have any meaning or purpose? All right? Uh, well... The only way that you can have meaning or purpose in life is if you understand the world in which you live, right? Mm. And the reality. And so you go out and you say, I need to do something meaningful. Well, you know, what's going to be meaningful is eating hot dogs in jujubes or gummy bears. That's meaningful, right? 
Well, no, it's not. Well, why isn't it? Because your definition of what it means to be a human being is critical. You see, this is what's interesting is we make choices every single day on this foundation of beliefs and convictions. That's why I always say that what you believe is one of the most important things about you. However, very few people ever go back and ask themselves, well, what are my beliefs and why do I have them? And the world in which you live intentionally distracts you from ever asking that question. You know, all they say is, well, you want to be happy. Well, how often do you actually sit down and say, well, first of all, am I happy or not? On a scale of one to 10, how happy am I? And then number two is, well, what makes me happy? And what, what are all the things that I did that I thought would make me happy? but I wasn't happy once I had them or did them. Well, and we see this a lot in what the culture tells us is going to make us happy, Correct. right? Like if you sleep with all of these women, you will be happy. Yeah. If you get all of this money, you will be happy. Yes. If you go and eat gummy bears all day yeah. and watch Disney plus all the time, you You'll will be, be happy. happy. And yet, but no, it's but like, we don't see <laughs> happiness in people that pursue any of those walks of life, right? right? Like we're at record depression. We're yes. looking at, you know, all of these things popping up as far as yeah, drug mental addiction, health, drug, yeah. drug addiction, all yeah. these different things, you know, the porn industry. It's like all of this stuff is evident that we've tried it what the world says. We've tried it the world's way yeah, and things happy. are not getting better. Even we see this in the people that are pushing um, all of these agendas on, you know, rights of uh lgbtq or or mm -hmm. or gender identity and stuff like this and it's like oh if they'll just accept me for being pansexual and that i am transitioning then i'll be happy and yeah. it's like okay but they're not but they're not and we yeah. see those trends yeah. all the way and it's like well maybe the next thing the world tells us that's what's going to get us there it's like it's always just out of reach and the world says oh well you know, it's like the latest fad. We know you said the Atkins diet was going to make everything better, but actually it's this next one that's really going to make things work. And then it's the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one, right? And so we've had a plan for how to be happy written for us 2,000 years ago, yeah. but the world's been trying to convince us it doesn't otherwise. Exist, yeah. And see, that's the point is that what when Jesus came to die for your sins, it defines your reality because what... What it's saying is that purpose is what brings joy. Purpose is what brings meaning. Purpose is what brings happiness. Without meaning, without purpose, you will never be happy. And so the real sad part about that is, well, how do I find meaning and purpose in my life is I have to accept the ultimate reality. There is a God. I'm not that God. And I'm separated that from that God because of evil in the world. That taint has affected me. So that's the first thing it does. The, the, uh, it also affects your marriage and your relationships. Like for instance, um, do you fall in love and you get married? Are you now having struggles in your marriage because you married the wrong person? I can't tell you how many times people, they start to have problems in their relationship or their dating relationship and they go, oh, we're not soulmates because we're not a perfect fit because we're having problems. And so they, what do they do is they get divorced or they break up and move on to the next person. And today, what's really fascinating is you've seen this over the last 30 years is that the average age for people getting married has moved uh, for guys from 21, 22 years of age to 30 years of age. 
You don't say, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for women, it's the same. It's like 29 now is the average age of getting married. And what's fascinating is fewer and fewer and fewer people are getting married. And what's even more important is that today in America, more people live single than in any time in human history. Almost 50% of the population mm-hmm. lives as a single person, a non-married person. And so, uh, or even living together in a relationship. And so what happens is the reason why is because reality is telling is people are not accepting reality. And what people are thinking is, well, I get along with this person and because we never have a conflict, that means we're in love. As soon as we have a conflict, we're not in love. And so I need to move on and find my soulmate because that person exists. But this is a completely false and deceptive way of thinking because in reality, Jesus came to die for your sins. So is it really that you married the wrong person or you're dating the wrong person? Or is it the influence of sin in your life? You see, what is, what is it if maybe it's your sin issue, right? You're not perfect. Everybody admits that I'm not perfect. I, no, I don't live up to your expectations or that person's expectations. I don't even live up to my own expectations of myself. And so we know we're not perfect. So we always admit we have a sin issue, an imperfection issue. And so how do I know it's not my imperfection issue and my partner, my spouse, my dating person's uh, sin issue, their imperfections are lining up in this area of our life. And if maybe we just think about that and we figure that out, what we do is we end up building a love that transcends any challenge we will ever face because we're totally aware that we're two imperfect people and our sin issue is going to line up and cause hurt and pain in our relationship. But you know what? I'm not perfect because Jesus Christ came to die for my sins. And because of that, I can, I am forgiven. And so I can forgive you, Mm. you see? And so that changes the dynamic of a marital relationship. I don't expect you to be perfect. As a matter of fact, if I'm going to marry you, I expect you to say things to hurt me. I expect you uh, to do things that annoy me. I expect you in anger to intentionally wound me. I ha- Why? Well, because I'm that way too. <laughs> and see, this is the point when Paul wrote, let's be kind and tenderhearted towards one another because forgiving one another just as Christ has forgiven you. See, that's really important. So when you say Jesus died for my sins, what you're really saying is you're adopting a foundational rock that transforms your capacity to fall in love and stay in love. This, this foundational rock is critical for the way you raise your kids. Um, when they are young, you realize it is really important to teach my kids. I need to teach my kids uh, virtues. Because if I don't believe that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins, if I don't believe that, then you know what I'm believing? I'm believing something else. And that is, is that kids are perfect mm-hmm. and the, the virtues that they're going to grow up with are, you know, are already there. Well, most parents are like, yeah, that isn't true. You see this, this rock has a huge impact in your career, pursuit of your career or what you do for a living. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, then what you're saying is, I believe it's possible to find fulfilling work. If I don't believe that truth, what I am saying is, well, I'm going to do something I hate because society doesn't provide me with an income and it's society's job to take care of me. You see, what happens is when we say Jesus came to die for my sins, what we're really doing is we're first admitting that I am a tainted person. 
I'm, I'm tainted. And Jesus came to remove the influence of the taint. So how does this taint influence and impact my life? Uh, when I have trouble in my marriage, instead of doubting that I chose well, I think about, wow, my sin issues and her sin issues, or, you know, if you're a woman, your sin issues and his sin issues are lining up at this point. And so what we want to do is instead of saying, you are the problem, you say, we have a problem due to sin issues. And Jesus came into your life to set you free from that. Jesus came into my life to set me free from it. So maybe instead of being so stubborn and so blaming and pointing fingers and angry because we've been hurt, what we do is we immediately say, my hurt comes from my sin issues. Jesus came to set me free from that. So Jesus healed my hurt. And it allows you to stop being so angry and so control oriented in your marriage. And it allows the freedom for the other person to grow into who God called them to be. I can't tell you how many times I've had to talk to men and women and say, how often has trying to change your spouse worked? And I mean, they don't pause immediately. It's never. Then why do you keep doing that? (laughs) That's all you do. That's all you do and you use anger and manipulation and demands and you play uh, sex and affection games with one another. You do, I mean, you guys have, all you're doing is saying that Jesus didn't come to save me from my sins. Mm. Every time you act that way in your marriage, I know this is salty to say, but it's so true. Every time you're acting that way and you're stubborn and you're filled with hate and anger, you are denying that Jesus came to die for your sins. So you're trying to build a house we're biggest room in your house, your marriage on a foundation of sand. And so you see, these are very important. And if you think in these terms, you start to realize, wow, this is more profound than I ever imagined. Um, you know, when your kids are growing up, you got to say, look, they're influenced by this taint. So everything I do, I have to coach and train and create um, environments. The reason why I'm teaching my kids morals and the reason why I'm teaching right and wrong is so that they understand there's a standard that they can't live up to. Now, why do I want them to understand that? So that they realize I'm an imperfect person and I need to be freed from the taint. That's why Jesus came. You see, if you raise a kid and say, well, everything about you is perfect. Everything you want is, is cause you're a queen and you're a princess and you need to Nothing you want is wrong and none of your dreams are bad because you're perfect. It's society that's bad. And first of all, that creates tremendous confusion and a lack of identity in kids. They're like, I have no identity, you know, because I have nothing to even respond to, which is crazy. And that's why we're communicative uh, beings. And this is a philosophical point most people don't think about. But if we didn't need context and community to understand our identity, then we wouldn't be communicative beings. Let that roll around in your noggin for a little bit. But the issue here is critically important to understand as we teach them morals so that they can understand that they won't even live up to their own expectations and they're flawed and they need to be set free from the taint of evil in this world. And the other thing that happens is because Jesus came to save our sins, when your kids make mistakes, you don't freak out as a parent, you know, especially when they're younger, let them make the mistakes, um, in your career. 
Jesus came to save your sins. And so instead of feeling like a failure that you didn't get the job you want or you're doing the thing you want, instead of feeling like you've been rejected every time they say no, the the fact that you don't ever feel unimportant or unvalued because you're not in charge or you're not at the level that you want, what you do is you realize there is a sin issue in my own life, I'm imperfect. So work can be a a huge situation in your life and some people will just avoid it because it's unsatisfying, but they end up feeling meaningless. On the other hand, some people will overwork, right? They work too hard because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get work to provide something that they need spiritually and that will never happen. Work only becomes truly fulfilling when Jesus heals you from the taint. That's why this principle is so important, so significant, and yet it astounds me how often it's overlooked in the church today. I mean, I think just really focusing on this fact of this undeniable truth that Jesus did die for us, that we are sinful creatures, but God came down, he he came into this story to redeem us, to reclaim us so that we can be with him, it's a life-changing, reality-defining moment that I think without you really lose the whole purpose of being a quote-unquote Christian, right? Yes. Like these, we see these ideas of, you, you know, you believe that secular people are not going to believe this, right? But it's like when you start seeing Christians having these thoughts, it's like, why are you even here then? Like, right. if he's not the whole purpose of the whole reason you're here, that yeah. you are communing with him, then like, everything you're doing is basically just a slightly more fanciful version of what the rest of the world's doing. Right? Exactly. And that's, see, that's the issue I think of why we have to answer the question, what is the foundation that my life is built on? Right. And the more I ask that question, then the more I start to think about, well, is this issue that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins? Uh, have I embraced it? Am I living in it and walking in it? Because if I am, then guess what? I am, my whole attitude changes, you know, like, uh, for instance, um, Mr. Incredible and the Incredibles, right. In the first movie, he's captured by what's that guy's name and in the bad guy's name, spec, not specter, but inferior or something, yeah, yeah, something, something, like, something that. like that. And so he's caught and he's in that big thing, you know, and then he hears that his wife and children, you know, die in the plane crash, you know, and his wife comes in, you know, and to rescue him and sees that him, uh, uh, give that girl a hug and she walks up and she punches that girl, you know, Elastigirl. girl, she comes up and he grabs her arm and she's not happy and he's pulling her in <laughs> and he gives her a big hug. He goes, I can't believe you're alive. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And she goes, she's mad, you know, and she's right. laying into him and all this stuff. He goes, you're trying to fight, but I'm just so happy you're alive. <laughs> and that's what you do. I mean, can you imagine just sitting there and you just say, man, I'm so happy we're together, you know, or your kids. I'm so happy you're alive. Um, I remember Max Lucado once talking about this. He goes, he goes, so many people argue and fight about where they sit in the orchestra. And he goes, I'm just glad I got invited to play. Yeah. 
You know, I'm just glad I'm on the stage. And it's the same way is we lose this and that's where we, where we point fingers. And remember we talked about in James where James says the law of mercy is always better than the law of judgment. Right. And, and so why do Christians get judgy? Why? Cause well, people get hurt and then they go around and they have to blame, they have to blame somebody, you know, well, you didn't live up to expectation. You didn't do this. You did that. But the thing is, is that we don't understand that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. And that is the foundation you must build your life upon. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Pastor. I know we're going to probably jump way more in depth into this on Thursday as we go into the practicalities of living that out in our lives. But we just really appreciate you guys joining us here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Um, If you're on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this um, foundational principle and things yes. you may have heard. We have some people that have sent in some um, TikTok videos for the Salty Pastor to react to. Those are also great. We might bring those up later um, after the Easter series. So we're just excited that you guys are engaging with us and joining the conversation with each other and with us. So thank you guys so mm-hmm. much for joining us, and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty All Pastor right. Podcast. Blessings on you.